and honored to be here with you. Um, how many of you were not here this morning? Could you just kind of, okay, quite a few of you were not here this morning. We're going to take a few moments because what we're going to do this evening really builds on what we did this morning. So we'll take a few moments in review, but I think, I ne- I think we neglected to, to really introduce ourselves uh, this morning. We've, um, we're Dave and Chris, and we're, we're pastors. We've been senior pastoring for 35 years this year. And um, yeah, some people think that's a great thing. Some people think that's a horrible thing. It just depends on your perspective. But anyway, and we've actually been 33 years at the church that we currently pastor. So we've, we've raised, um, we're raising a, a second generation of, of people in the church family that we've been pastoring for all these years. And it is a joy and, and it's a privilege. And sometimes it's a nightmare, but mostly it's a joy and it's a privilege. But so this morning we started out. And we started out by sharing a story, and I, we won't share that story again, but to capsulize that story, it was a story my husband read, and we've read it literally hundreds of times around the world, and it's a story that, that gets me emotionally every time. And I just want to say that, you know, David, you got up here and you said that uh, Northern Ireland is not necessarily emotional. But do you know the level of emotion that's expressed in worship? I mean, sometimes I think... We pick and choose our emotions, and we think this emotion is safe, but this emotion isn't safe. And so I'll feel this, but I won't feel that. And, you know, God is an incredibly emotional God, and he loves us passionately, the Bible says. He loves us lavishly, the Bible says. Paul, when he was talking in, 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 in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he said, I don't come to you with words of, of great wisdom, he said, but in the Holy Spirit and power so that your most holy emotions could be touched and then you will be persuaded. That's an amplified translation, a little bit um, retranslated by me, but that's exactly what it says. But he talks about our most holy emotions. And so this morning, Dave told a story about a little boy whose father committed suicide when he was seven years old and and the path that that led him on. And that that little boy um, turned out to be my husband. And so Dave's father committed suicide when he was just a little boy, and Dave came in and found him when he was seven years old. He had had shot himself in the head. And you can imagine um, the level of pain that would have created and confusion that would create in a little child. And then literally the day of his father's funeral, his mom was diagnosed with terminal cancer. And so there were several children, they were sent off to live with family members, and nobody ever talked about it, and nobody ever talked about the suicide. As a matter of fact, up until a few years ago, there were still family members that would not even acknowledge that it was suicide. And so it was just something that wasn't discussed and wasn't talked about, but it created this level of confusion and pain in this little boy. And, and we talked about how every single one of us have a story, and every single one of us have experienced pain in our stories. And, and we talked about how we all have, we have four basic needs. Every single one of us need to feel safe and secure. We need to be unconditionally loved, and we need to feel safe and secure in the presence of the one extending that love to us. We'll never receive that love until we feel safe and secure in the presence of the one extending the love. And we talked about having a sense of value and having a sense of purpose, and any time one of those needs is left unmet, we feel pain. But the problem is, is that most of us have never been taught how to experience comfort for our pain. So we do the best we can with what we have. We stuff our pain. We try to bury our pain. And and we realize as we get a little older and as life goes on that pain buried alive really doesn't ever die. It just comes out in the most unfortunate ways in the most unfortunate times. And we talked and we laughed a little bit about when our buttons push, what what comes out of us, when our emotional buttons are pushed. And... And, and, you know, just think, 
And, and again, this is just a very brief review of what we talked about this morning, but just think what our lives would look like and what our relationships would look like and what our churches would look like and what our families would look like and what our workplaces would look like if we responded out of healing instead of reacting out of pain. Because so often we react out of our pain when Father God wants to come in and touch our pain and heal our pain so that we can respond out of a place of healing. So this morning we talked about that God is love, right? He, he doesn't, like, have love. You know, he doesn't kind of love us. He is love. God is love. And we talked about how that perfect, uh, perfect love casts out or overthrows fear. So how many of us still have insecurity? inferiority, anxiety. anxiety, fear issues, depression, anger, victim mentality. <laughs> I'll, I'll hit somebody here. <laughs> you know, Christians, are, Christians also, in Ireland are they're really... Also, wait a minute. Like, we are not emotional. Like, you are in Northern Ireland. <laughs> like, really? Christians are really got it together in Ireland. Ireland. I mean... All right, I'll Ireland. tell you, right, Ireland. Ireland. Okay, so, it, but so, so God is love. So it's not a matter of getting more of God's love. The issue is Jesus Christ paid the ultimate price to bring us into right standing with, with the God of the universe so that we could call him Abba, Father, Daddy God. So Jesus died for our sins. We talked about that this morning. Jesus died for our sins. And that's typically, if you ask Christians anywhere around in the world, uh, you know, one of the main answers, why did Jesus die? He died to pay the price for our sins. Sins, And we certainly understand that, but that's not the end of the story. He came to, he died for our sins so that we could have right relationship with the God of the universe and be able to call him Abba, Father, Daddy, God. He, he wants us to have an open, intimate, transparent relationship with the God of the universe like a little boy just loves their daddy. That's the kind of picture of that kind of love relationship that he wants us to have. And as we begin to experience that love, it's the picture of the cross. Mm -hmm. We begin to experience that love. We then be, you know, first, first God first loved us, right? And then we love him back, kind of, right? <laughs> we we kind of love him back. It's very selfish, but we, you know, we, we like everything that God's doing for us, right? We, we like that he made us happier. We like that, you know. And, and, but then we, we, we begin to love Father God for not for, who, for not for what he can do for us, but for who he is, yeah. right? He's, he's daddy. He's Abba. He's, he's, he's my dad. I'm his son. I'm, you're his son. You're his daughter. And, and so then... Then as we begin to experience that love, everybody say experience. Experience. It's not a, you, it's not a word that's, that's used in a lot of church settings, but God yeah. wants us to experience his phileo, his tender love and affection for us. Jesus, our example, he experienced his father's love, and he wants us to experience that love. And so the New Testament name for God is Father. Now, <clears throat> so he wants us to experience that love, and then it's a picture of the cross. He wants us to give that love away. But what we do is we don't experience the love of God, so then we give something away, and we just do the best we can yeah. with what we have. Yeah. Yeah. 
That's why we have dysfunctional lives. That's why we have dysfunctional families. And that's why we have dysfunctional churches. The picture of Christianity is the, Christ, is, is the, is the picture of family. That is the picture of Christianity. The picture of Christianity is experiencing Father God's love, learning how to walk as his dearly loved son or daughter, and then learning how to give that overflow of what he's doing in our lives away. So in the picture of, of, in the picture of these four needs, who, who first, you know, think about those four needs, uh, peace, safety, safety, sense of security, Trust, unconditional love, value, purpose. Where do you think mankind first had those four needs met? In the garden. With unbroken fellowship with God the Creator, God the Father. And what happened when mankind fell? Remember, the, remember it's a pretty cool picture. You think about God kind of being cool and walking in the cool of the day. You know, and he's calling out for Adam and Eve, and he already knows what's going on, right? They already messed up big time. And, 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 and he says, where are you guys? You know, where, hey, Adam, hey, Eve, where are you? And, 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 and they were what? They were what? Uh, afraid. You know the answer, don't you? They were afraid. You can, you can just bark it right out. Bark it right out. <laughs> Say it. They were, they were afraid. They were what? They were afraid. They were afraid, and what did they do? Hid themselves, right? And they and they, what did they do? They made, they made, up, they made something out of God's creation to cover themselves, right? Think about that. And it was really a poor job. When you think about that, it's really a very poor job. You know, a fig leaf, really. Think about it. you know that thing's going to dry out, <laughs> and it, and it get windy. It's not, good. not a good situation. Dries out, gets windy, chafing is going to occur. It's not going to be good. <laughs> it's, turn, turn to the person beside you and say, "He's an American. It's going to be okay." <laughs> All right, okay, okay. So, so that, so, so, and then, so, so. Here's the point of that. The point of that is this: the first Adam brought us into this mess called sin and the fallen world. The first Adam, but guess who Jesus is? He's the second Adam. To, to, he came to bring us back into right relationship with the God of the universe so that we could now become part, again, of the family of God. And actually, actually, it's a better deal than Adam had because it's by the Spirit of God, and he causes us to be born again when we ask Jesus Christ to come into our hearts. But you see, most of us have a fundamental problem with all this because this is all good theology, right? And most of us have learned this theology somewhere along the line. We've learned about the love of God. We've learned how much God loves us. But a lot of us have a fundamental issue, and it's kind of a, a cultural societal thing. We see it throughout the world is the curse, if you will, or the social uh, crisis of fatherlessness. And so many of us, when we hear about God loves us, we have this awesome relationship with Jesus. We love Jesus. We just are, I mean, he's our brother, he's our friend, he's our advocate, he's our intercessor. We, we love the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. But if you're anything like me, if you would have said, Father God loves you, it made me cringe on the inside. Because when I was a young girl, my father left us. My father 
left our family. Uh, it, it, our family turned upside down. My father started abusing alcohol. My mother became very suicidal. And so what happened to me is what I would hear the word father, the immediate perception as is common with all of us, was the perception of my earthly father. And what did that represent to me? Pain. It represented abuse. It represented violence. It represented abandonment. It represented the person that I needed most in my life to protect me, and when I needed them most, they weren't there. That's what father represented to me. And see, we see father God through the lenses of our earthly fathers because our fathers are the ones that were given to us to protect us and to care for us and to provide for us and to actually instill in us a sense of identity of who we are. There's an identity crisis in the world today because fathers have not instilled in the children the identity of who they are and how loved they are and able to to translate that love from, from an earthly father then to a heavenly father. So we're going to look at some real practical steps tonight of how to take a further step in experiencing, everybody say experiencing, Experiencing. because Paul said in, uh, in Ephesians, he said, when he prayed that beautiful prayer for us in Ephesians, the third chapter about being rooted in love and grounding in love. And he said that you might really know practically through experience for yourself, the love of Christ, which far surpasses mere knowledge without experience. So, so, so we live in a fatherless society. Everybody knows that. You know, I mean, uh, fatherlessness is rampant throughout the world. In the United States, four, I think it's like 47% of the children that go home tonight. Well, any night. Any night. Because tonight's not their night. It's, this, this it's, it's one of those things. Any night they go home, 47% of the children that go home will go home to a house with no father, right? So we know that the, there's a disease of fatherlessness that has impacted the society that we live in. It impacts everything in our society, and we can't get into that, and we can't talk about that right now because that's a huge subject and it's very deep. But not only that, we live, really, we live in an anti-father society. And I believe, I believe the spirit of Antichrist is an anti-father kind of spirit. Anti-father. You see, when, I, when my dad committed suicide and put us into this huge spin of confusion and, and, uh, and wondering and, and shame and, 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 uh, and, and nobody talked to us, and, and so I was just left to my own devices to try to comfort my pain. So, so then I became a Christian, and, and then I became a pastor. And, and my mentality, although I cried at night many times, cried and prayed at night to know God as Father, I didn't know him as father because there were barriers, there were strongholds in my life that raised themselves up against the knowledge of Christ, of what God really wanted me to have. There were strongholds that had been built in my life. I didn't know about them, but they were there. And so my image of Father God was very, he was very aloof. He was very foreign to me. He was very, it wasn't a personal, uh, relational loving, kind, affectionate, you know, let's go throw the ball around kind of thing. It was just a, he, he was God. It's kind of a blank spot. A blank, a very blank thing. And inside, inside, you know, my, the spirit of my mind, we talked about that this morning, be being renewed in the spirit of your mind, the inner core of who you are, how you act, and how you react in every situation, even when your button's pushed. Or you could say, if you want to use the word psychological term, your subconscious mind, whatever it may be, in your brain, whatever you want to call it, 
we begin to develop a mentality of who God is by the by looking through the lens of our of our earthly fathers and mothers, and we talk about mother issues too, but not tonight because we <laughs> won't have enough time. One very famous psychologist that I know, uh, he I heard him say this. He said, "Most Christians I know pray like this: Dear Heavenly Version of my earthly father." Mm. We mm. see God through the lenses of life experience, and we're going to talk about specifically father issues today. So we looked this morning and we talked about this cycle of pain, which unfortunately many of us live in. And many of us live in it, we don't know how to escape it. And we, and we talked about wounding and we talked about any time one of those four basic needs was left unmet, that need for safety, security, unconditional love, value, or purpose. Anytime that need was left unmet, we got hurt. It hurts. And, and, and sometimes we don't even have a safe place to express that hurt. But the fact of the matter is we experience pain in life. And if we don't know where to get comfort, we go to negative thinking. And we talked about in my situation how my type of thinking was, you know, I'm only safe when I'm in control. Nobody's going to take care of me. I'm always going to have to take care of myself. I can't trust anyone to care for me. I can't trust anyone to parent me. Even being a daughter is, an, is a distasteful thing to me because my experience of a, as a daughter only represented pain. So we start these negative thoughts, and it moves us into sin, and we start building these walls to protect ourselves from pain, but the walls that we so carefully constructed to keep pain out also keep love out. I walked in a level of unforgiveness that is... I mean, I thank God for his forgiveness because I walked in a level of unforgiveness for 25 years, and we'll have time we'll talk about that a little bit more. Then we go into a place of darkness and hiding because we really don't want anybody to know who we really are. So we put on this face, and we go to church, yeah. and, and we greet each other in church, and we're like, how are hey, you? And, oh, you I'm blessed, you know, too blessed I'm to fine. be stressed. How you, you know, how you doing? What's the I'm right fine. answer? How I'm are you? Good, yeah, of course you are, because yeah. I don't want to hear uh -huh. anything else. That's right. You know, so, so we go to church, and we put these masks on because we're all hiding because we don't want anyone to know who we really are. Because if they knew who we really were, maybe they wouldn't like us. Maybe they wouldn't accept us. We're afraid, and so then we move into sometimes even this place of oppression, and that is so often where we live. I don't want to live there. I lived there for most of my Christian life. And so... We're going to really quickly tonight go from this cycle of pain to this cycle of healing, and then we're going to talk about what is restricting us from experiencing his love and how to take a step in the right direction of moving from that cycle of pain into that cycle of healing. So let me, let me just draw this for you, and here's the good news and the bad news. The cycle of healing starts just like the cycle of pain because we live in a fallen world, folks. And sometimes there's just flat-out pain out there, isn't there? And, and, and what, so a wound. And, what, and so, uh, you know, wounds, it starts with a wound. And so wounds can be past wounds. They can be something you're dealing with right now. Or it's, it could be something that's in the future. And what we find is that if we don't deal, if we don't, if we don't un understand the Father's love, we haven't uh, learned how to experience the Father's love and comfort down to the very core of who we are, how we act, and how we react, what happens is that affects our present, and, of course, that's obviously going to affect our futures. And Understand so, that. And so here we are. All along, God had comfort for us. All along. He provided it through the Holy Spirit. He said in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, he said, I am the God of all comfort, and I will comfort you in every situation you experience in life so that you can be comforted. 
and so that you can take that comfort and give it away. And that's exactly what I was talking about before when I said, imagine what our lives and our relationships and our families and our churches would look like if we responded out of healing. If we were, if I was able to give to you out of the comfort and the, and the, and the healing that God's put in me, oh my goodness, we wouldn't need to wear those masks anymore. We wouldn't need to hide anymore. We would be able to walk up to one another and in openness and transparency and truth, and I would say, how you doing, brother? And you could say, you know, I'm struggling with something right now. And I wouldn't have any need to judge. I wouldn't have any need to compete. I wouldn't have any need to do anything but express the same comfort that Father has placed in my heart. You see, what a difference our lives would be. And so all along there was that comfort. And once we've been comforted, we can go from that negative thinking to positive thinking. We can start blessing one another. Once we've been comforted, we can start to walk in forgiveness and cleansing. And you want to, will you draw that up there? Oh, Once we've been, can you do that? Oh, Once we've been, here it is. <laughs> well, I, I'm not a good drawer. Well, it's I'm not much of a drawing. It's more of a writing. Are we going to do our Titanic? I don't I want to know. No, no, going. tomorrow. We can't have time to do the okay. Titanic tonight. Um, tomorrow? <laughs> please. <laughs> Titanic illustration. Yeah, oh yeah. These people are going to be so impressed. All right. Anyway, and so we, we move from comfort to positive thoughts to blessing others. We move from that place into a place of forgiveness. And, and you know, here's, a, here's an interesting little um, side note. It's really not a side note. It's super important. Is that so many of us have trouble with forgiveness. It's a huge issue in the body of Christ. I held my parents emotionally hostage for 25 years. I refused to forgive. And if you would have asked me if I would have forgiven them, I would have told you yes, because I knew it was the right thing to do. But my life and my relationships and my level of anger and my level of judgment toward everyone would probably speak very clearly to you that I was not walking in forgiveness. But what I did not understand is that in our humanity, we can't begin to forgive, which is simply to let go of the pain. We can't let go of the pain until we've experienced some comfort. And so it's so important to know where to avail ourselves of that comfort when pain comes. Then we can walk in forgiveness and cleansing and peace and light and freedom and liberty and joy and rest. Are we going to get hurt again? Yes. So here we were. And we shared with you a little bit of the story this morning about the story of our lives. And we shared a lot about our, our, our childhoods and, and how we came together as teenagers and just looking for love and looking for, looking for that safe place, looking for that sense of security and unconditional love. And it, I have to say it didn't go very well for us for, for a lot of years. And we went on to have children of our own and, and we went on to... Um, to become pastors, and, and, and we're doing the best we could with what we had to follow the call of God on our life and to, um, and, 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 and to love people. But, you know, we give away what we have, and we do the best we can with what we have. And because we didn't know how to experience that comfort when we were hurt, and we were so hurt. I mean, you, a church is a family, and there's pain attached to that many times. Sometimes there's betrayal attached to that. Sometimes the people that you love the most leave you and you don't know why. Sometimes the people that your kids are the best friends with leave and, and you don't know how to comfort your kids because you don't know how to experience comfort for yourself. 
And Dave touched on it this morning when he shared his story, and we'll touch on it again here too and again in a few more minutes. But by the time we'd been in ministry for 15 years and our, our children had become young adults, our son was 20, our daughter was 18, our son had decided he didn't want to play the game anymore and he was just going to die. So when our son was 20 years old and he was a Bible school student, he made an extraordinarily violent attempt on his life, which should have killed him. He was 500 miles away from home attending Bible school. He should have died. God supernaturally intervened in that situation and saved our son's life. But emotionally, our son was broken. And when our son, when his pain all came to the surface, all that pain that we thought we had so successfully pressed down and hidden for all those years, all that pain we thought we had buried, it came back in full force. And our, our son was so full of pain and so full of anger and so full of anguish. And our 18-year-old daughter at the time, all the pain that she had suppressed started just, just flowing out of her. And all four of us were like, like aerosol cans that the valve was broken and we were just spraying pain everywhere. And we didn't know if our marriage would survive. We didn't know if our family would survive. We didn't know if our church would survive. And finally, we hurt so badly that we had no choice but to change. You know, God loves us exactly the way we are, but he loves us too much to leave us the way we are. But unfortunately, in our humanity, sometimes we're so stubborn and sometimes we're so in control that we have to receive enough unconditional love that we have motivation toward change. We need to receive enough enough information that we have hope for change But unfortunately, in our humanity, sometimes we just have to flat out hurt enough that we have no choice but to change. And that was a turning point in our life. And that's where we met a a man named Jack Frost who had had a revelation of the love of the Father. And so we're going to now take you on a a little journey here of understanding what could be in our lives that's restricting us from experiencing that love to the degree that it changes everything about us, that it changes how we react and respond. And, and like Dave said earlier, who were the, as when we were, when we were born, we were, when we were small children, who were the people that were teaching us how to live life? Who were the people that were, that were given to us to love us and to, and to help us feel safe and secure? And to help us feel valued. Who were those people? Our parents, right? Our caregivers. And tonight we're going to talk about some things that have probably happened in us and to us and, and not our fault. Are we here to blame our parents? Are we here to blame our fathers? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. But we can't fully understand what's restricting us from experiencing that love until we've kind of diagnosed what the problem might be in our own lives. Did our dads, every one of them, do the best they could with what they had? Yeah, every one of us do. But wounded people wound people. And people that are full of pain inflict pain on other people. And people who have been so wounded that they didn't know what to do with their pain and, so, and they didn't know how to experience comfort, they pour out pain on others. And we see it happen every day. And many of times it happened to us. Are we victims? No. Do we have responsibility? Yes. I'm not responsible for what happened to me, but I'm 100% responsible for how I respond to what happened to me and what I choose to do with it from here on out. So we're going to look tonight at some different father types. 
Again, we talk about moms too, but we don't have time to do that tonight. So we're going to look at some different father types. And we suspect that you will see yourself, your family of origin, in one or more of these. Now, I'm not talking, if you're a dad yourself, this is not about you as a dad. This is about you as a child. This is the father that you had, not the father that you are, okay? And, and I know sometimes we, we, we slip from one to the other because some of us who are parents, we're going, oh, my God, what have I done to my children? I must repent. But right now, this is about you. Everybody say this is about me. It doesn't very often get to be about me, okay? But to right now, tonight, this is about you. And this is about the father that you had. And we're going to look at these because these will help us so understand perhaps what's been standing in the way of us fully experiencing the love of the father. Because maybe we've been seeing Father God through some distorted lenses. So here we go. We're going to start out. We've got to look at the time here. we got time? And we're going to start out with a performance-based dad. And I think that might be a little bit self-explanatory, but and some of you are going to see your dad in several of these categories. I certainly saw my dad in several of these categories. And, and the first is a performance-based dad, and this is the dad who has super high expectations. Not, anything wrong with that? Not, no, not necessarily. But if, if, if your dad's here, don't raise your hand. <laughs> but if, if the expectations on your life were so high that there was never a safe place to land when you failed. Because how many of you know that failure is inevitable? Every single one of us fail. And how many of you know that when we do fail... We need a safe place to land. We need a place to land where we still, even though we blew it, we still know we're loved. We still know we're valued. We still know we're accepted. We still know that that we have a place in the heart of our father. And so this, this guy, this father type, he's got high standards, his demands for certain behavior, not necessarily tempered with large amounts of affection and verbal affirmation. You know, he could have really high standards in sports, in schoolwork, in religion or church life, in demands for obedience. And, and you know, he's the dad that, that he can look at you. He can give you the look, the look. Anybody ever got the look? And you know as soon as you got the look that you better shape up. <laughs> that something better change right now or your I, life I've was in danger. i looks right here. <laughs> And so, but you know, this is, this is how this could work. You know, I, I mean, even though, even though my dad left us when I was 12 years old, in those years that I was home, I mean, I was, I grew up in a performance-based house. I mean, there was nothing, I don't know how they grade things here in Ireland, but in, in, in in the States, it's A, B, C, D, F. There is no E. It's all A, B, C, D, F for failure. And so there was nothing acceptable in my home other than A's. I mean, nothing was acceptable, nothing was acceptable except the very best. And we take that and we put that into our, we, 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 we pass that down. What, 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 hap- what happened? Did, what, like, your sister got. Yeah, I, I had an older sister, and I think she was in fifth grade, probably 10 years old, 11 years old. And one day she got a, a C, was it a C or a B? Yeah. Was it a C? A B. I a B. I think it was a B. Yeah. Second down from the very highest. She got a B on a report card. 
And my parents, I mean, they called, they called the principal, they called the teacher, they had a meeting. They wanted to know what in the world had happened that their child had received a B. Hey, honey. Yeah. I remember my mom, I got a C one time and my, you know, my mom, my, I brought the report card home. I showed my mom, I got a C. She goes, you got a C. You got a C. She called all the neighbors. We had a big party. My son, my son, my, my son got a C. He's average. I love it. He's a great kid. But, but what happens too many times is that Christian homes become super performance oriented, don't they? And I'm telling you, I took that performance-oriented that, that was given to me in my house, and whatever we grew up with feels normal to us. Even if we know logically it's not right, it still feels normal to us. And so we tend to, if we don't have some change, we tend to pass that down. And I'm telling you what, my kids sat right there in the front row, just like you beautiful children right there. And they sat right there in the front row, and they dressed right, and they looked right, and they smelled right, and they acted right, and if they didn't, there was a price to pay when they got home because, by golly, it was a reflection on me how my children looked up there in the front row. That is a performance-based home. I remember when my daughter was a little girl, she would just um, try so hard to please me, and, and it was impossible to please me. I mean, it was just wasn't even something that could be done, and I'm not proud of that. I'm, it makes me very sad. But um, I remember when she was five years old, one day she came and got me. She said, Mommy, Mommy, come look. I, I made my bed, you know. And, and so I went in and I looked at her. She had made her bed. And, and she had done the best she could with her short little arms and short little legs. She was just a little girl. And she had tried so hard to smooth out all the wrinkles. And I said, well, honey, that's really nice, but let me show you how to do it right. See, when we're raised in a performance-based home, we never feel like we quite get it right. And we'll translate that to God. We'll think, God only loves me when I do everything right. I need to pray enough. I need to read enough. I need to go to church enough. I need to share my, my, my Christianity enough. And if I do enough, if I do it just right every time, it'll finally be enough. And God will finally accept me. Let me ask you this. When's it ever enough? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. When's it ever enough? That's right. That's right. So... Uh, we, we've had the opportunity to preach all over the world and to, you know, thousands of people at one time. But the greatest sermon I ever preached in my life um, was to my own son. He had, he had tried to commit suicide. He was, uh, we had him getting some counseling in, in, in a, uh, a, a Christian uh, counseling hospital uh, in, the, in, the, in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And then he came home. But, the, but, but it was still very, it was a, a very... Uh, painful, very hard time because he was still just, you know, an upheaval and uh, he was uh, far away from God and, you know, running hard away from God. And so we would go uh, out into our garage, you know, and uh, he he bought this old motorcycle and he was going to fix up this old motorcycle. And I would go out there and, and talk with him because, you know, these kids grew up in the church, you know, they were on the praise and worship team. They taught Sunday school, uh, you know, they, we, you know, we tried to include our children in everything we did. It was just, and, and you know, just happy-go-lucky, and, and it's like now he's commit, tried to commit suicide, and he's just in turmoil and just in pain, and we're just trying to figure this thing out. And so I would go out there and talk with him, and I, and, and I, uh, I opened up a conversation with Jason. I said, Jason, you know, why, why can't you just give your life back to the Lord? Why can't you just, you know, uh, you've always been such a great kid, you know, what, I don't get it, I don't get it. 
help me understand what's going on here. Why can't you just give your life back to the Lord and serve the Lord? At that time, that's all I knew is serving God, right? And, and the problem with that is servants can only go to a master, but sons and daughters can go to a loving Heavenly Father, right? There's a big difference. And orphans have nowhere to call home at all. So he said, well, I can't, Dad, I can't. And so I just kind of let it go and then, you know, started up the conversation again. And I said, Jason, seriously, help me understand what's going on here. Why can't you just give your life back to the Lord and serve the Lord? He says, I can't, Dad. I, he said, I, I said, explain to me what you're talking about. He says, I can't, I can't get good enough to come to God. Well, you could have just, you could have hit me in the head with a rock. I was just, I was like, I was dumbfounded. I was flabbergasted. I, 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 here I am, you know, we, we have this kid that was raised in the church, and he thinks he has to, he has to get good enough to come to God. I was just, I was floored. And so the greatest sermon I ever preached in my life was to my own son that cold January in, the, in my garage working on this old greasy motorcycle. I said, Jason, Jason, you don't have to get good enough to come to God. You come to God just the way you are with your whole heart, with honesty in your whole heart, and he will help you change. You don't have to get, you don't have to, he said, well, I, think, I don't think I can change uh, a lot of things, Dad. I don't think I can get good enough. I, I said, Jason, don't, let, listen to me. You don't have to get good enough to come to God. You, you come to God just the way you are, with all your stuff, with insincerity, and he'll help you change. And guess what? We kneeled down. Good times. And we prayed. And he gave his life back to the Lord. And he didn't change overnight, but there was a change that happened in his heart. And he started to experience some of the love of Father God and some of the grace of God. Greatest sermon I've ever preached. Sorry. Us Iowans, we get emotional. (laughs) And so if you've been raised by a performance-based dad... Um, you may feel like God's only pleased with you when you're doing it all right. You might battle fears of failure and rejection. You might be really afraid of what people think about you. You might not um, know how to rest and be at home and have intimacy in the heart of the Father. And so anyone here probably recognize that they were raised in a, in a, in a performance-based home, performance-based. It's okay. It's a safe a place. You can it's raise a, your yeah, hand. It's all right. It's all right. It's okay. okay. Good, good. Thank you. The next one is the past. One person <laughs> raised by a performance oriented. I think there are probably David, more, David, did that's you okay. raise your hand? <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think probably what we ought to do, because I think there are a lot of family units here, is everybody just, there's a lot of grace here. Oh, and there's a lot yeah, of permission yeah, yeah. here to be honest and to be truthful, because that's the way we experience I know, I know change. I know how to do this. I know how, do how to we do, do this? this. Everybody, let's close our eyes and bow our heads. Seriously, I'm serious. Close your eyes, bow your heads. And so if if you were raised in a, a, you feel like you were raised in a performance-oriented home by a performance-oriented father, would you raise your hand? All right. That's awesome. Okay. Good for you. Okay. Good, 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 the good. next one is the passive dad. And this is a really a common, a common father type, too, because this is the dad. Thank God he's in the home and he's there, but he's not really able to emotionally connect. He's not really able to, to um, 
be actively involved in your life. And, and he's the kind of dad that's all news, weather, and sports. He might sit with the newspaper, sit with the remote control, and you might come to him with some things that are really important to you and some things that are really on your heart. And he's, he, he's just not able to emotionally connect. We call that frozen emotions. And so often that happens to us when we've been hurt so many times in life. And again, we're not here to blame people. We're just here to identify these, these, these barriers. And so sometimes people have been so badly wounded in life that they just shut off. There's a switch that goes off on the inside of them. They say, I can't take any more pain. I cannot feel any more pain. And so therefore, I will not feel anymore. And, 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 and oftentimes, we in our humanity, we're able to sometimes do that at least for a while. And so we shut off those emotions, and we just cannot feel. You know, my dad, after, um, after he left us, and, and um, he, he, he really started abusing alcohol, and he died when he was 60 years old. He uh, just retired, and he died four months later. And um, my dad, in his latter years, he really tried to make it right with us. He really attempted to make it right with his family, and, and it would just break his heart. And every time I would see him, he would say things like, I think about it every day. And I'd say, Dad, what? And he goes, I think about it every day. I'd say, Dad, what? Tell me what you think about it. He says, the day I sent you kids to live with your mother, I think about it every day. And he was a broken man. And, and he had just abused his, his body and he'd abused his health with alcohol. But my dad, and my dad, though, he was a great guy. He was a super functional alcoholic. He made a lot of money. He was an executive for a tire company. And if you would have just met him on the street, you would have thought, there is a fine man. He was personable. He was conversational. He could talk to you about any athletic team. He could talk to you about lots of different current events. Super intelligent, super good conversationalist. But I never knew him. I never knew him emotionally. I never knew who really he really was. And when he was 60 years old, he died. And when my siblings and I went to clean out his home, I learned more about my dad in cleaning his home after he had passed away than I ever knew about him while he was alive. It's a sad place. And if we've had a passive dad, you know, we probably don't feel like we can emotionally connect with God. You know, have you ever been in a worship service, maybe even like we just experienced here today? And there, I mean, the Spirit of God is so present. And there's such a sense of the Spirit, and you, and you know that. At least you, intellectually, you can see that, and you can even look around you, and you can see people experiencing something. They're feeling something. They're feeling an emotional connection with God. There's something happening, and you can see it happening in others, but you can't feel it. You can't access that for yourself. You think, what's wrong with me? Why can't I feel what other people are feeling? And so if we've had a passive dad, we probably have difficulty believing that God is like actively involved in our lives and really cares about us individually. We probably feel like God is kind of impersonal and far, far away. We, we, we probably have a hard time expressing emotion in worship. We probably have a hard time feeling and, and sensing the presence of God. And, and so our, 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 our relationship with Father God might be built more on duty or, or, or just power and duty rather than experience with his love. Anybody feel like they had a passive dad, a dad that just couldn't connect with and, you emotionally? And sometimes, and like, Kurt, like Chris's dad, 
he was a, a performance-oriented dad, but he was also a passive dad, okay? So some of these will bleed into each other. So close your eyes, everybody. And so if you think you were maybe raised uh, by a passive dad, you can raise your hand. All right? All right. Good. Good. So the next uh, father type, and, you know, I'm not saying that this is, you know, this is not like the, the list of all father types of, uh, around the world. We, you know, there are probably more father types that we could come up with, and I'm sure maybe you could come up with. But the next one is an absentee father. You know, you can tell this is a young person church because I cannot see because of the light in here. But we'll, we'll, do, we'll do the best that we can do here. <laughs> yeah, you weren't thinking about us old folks As here, us were you? old ya? fellers. Just put us old fellers out to pasture. That's what you do. So this father type was not there for you, uh, not involved in your life because of maybe divorce, death, abandonment, or, or just outright rejection. You may have forgiven them to the best of your ability or your conscious ability, but inside you still continue with, with a struggle, uh, a great void. Oh, oh of, light. Why is it that we think that when we turn down the lights, God moves? <laughs> Isn't that exactly the opposite of what it should be? God is light. Uh, I don't, I'm just saying. Okay. Um, so you may have tried to forgive him, and I thought I had forgiven my father, you know, for committing suicide and leaving and abandoning us, but uh, you, uh, you still struggle with a great void of fatherlessness, uh, of, of which you are not maybe necessarily even aware. Uh, it is an empty feeling, like you, and you feel like a spiritual orphan. You feel like you have no place to call home, right? And uh, you might be, you know, you, like, how did I deal with, my, my dad committing suicide and walking in on him and, and not having any comfort from the family members. My mom was terminally ill with cancer. How did I feel? Uh, how did I begin to relate to life? How did I begin to relate to the authority figures in my life? How did I begin to relate to God, the ultimate authority figure in my life? How did, how did that happen? I just became numb. You know, I mean, it's just like it was, it's just a, God is just like a very abstract, you know, kind of entity, right? Not a personal God, not a, a father, not, not, a, not, a, not somebody that wanted to put his arms around me and hug me and, you know, kiss my boo-boos. You know what, you have boo-boos here? No, <laughs> okay. Owies? No. Scratch? No, you don't even have that? Well, what do, what do you call what do you when you call fall it? down and skin your knee? Okay. <laughs> so you don't kind of, you just say, oh, come on, kid, you just cut your leg off. <laughs> All right, so some people carry, <laughs> you got to throw me a bone here, I'm, I'm, I'm starving here, I'm starving. Okay, so um, so here's some possible symptoms of, of, of an absentee, of you, if you were not raised by an absentee father. Some people carry uh, many of the same symptoms as a passive father, that makes sense. They're non-emotional, stoic, have great difficulty with intimacy, uh, like, uh, uh, Life for you is very, maybe very serious and intense. You may have a fear of drawing close to God. It's kind of a unreasonable. A lot of these things are unreasonable, right? You know, like when your button's pushed, do you have a reasonable response? Where's my socks? I mean, you just blow up because your socks aren't in the right drawer. It's, really not about the socks. it's not really about the socks, is it? Something else going on. Oh, boy. 
Okay, so anyway, so, uh, and so you may have a fear of, of drawing close to God because there's this unreasonable fear of that he might abandon you because it's connected to the Father who did abandon you, yeah. right? You may feel neglected by God that he spends time with others uh, but not with you. Uh, you may lack faith for God to provide for your needs because, uh, you know, obviously your father didn't provide for you. Uh, you may carry hidden guilt and blame yourself for your father's leaving. That is very common, especially in suicides. I, I blame myself. I mean, there were times, many times throughout my childhood and even into my adult years that, that I had thoughts of, was it my fault, Right. Could it, could it have been my fault? Wasn't I a good enough son to make my daddy want to live? Because here's, and here's, how, here's how you got to understand this. A child, the, a child, the, the world revolves around a child, right? I mean, in their minds. I mean, that's what, a, I mean, you know, it's, it all revolves around them. It's all, it's, it's, you know, that's how they think, right? So, so if your parents do, if your parents divorce, in a child they're thinking, somehow, not consciously, sometimes consciously, but subconsciously or, or uh, unreasonably, somehow this is my fault. Because a kid, a kid, that's how a child thinks. The, the world revolves around the child, right? So it's my fault that my dad committed suicide. Somehow, somehow that must have been my fault. And this is how insidious this can be because a child believes, you, we, if you've ever heard a two-year-old, everything's me, 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 mine, 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 no, 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 me, 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 right? And that's how a child processes life. So everything that happens in that little child's life is about them somehow because the world revolves around them. They process things differently. So here we are now all sitting here as adults, we're logical, we're reasonable, we have a pretty good theological background, we kind of know how life works, but we still find ourselves in our actions and reactions acting like that unreasonable child. That's what happens when our buttons are pushed and we have really abnormal reactions. We're probably reacting out of some unhealed trauma or pain in our life. And so, and, so if that's, and, and so you think, well, yeah, well, his dad committed suicide, so of course he's messed up. That's the worst thing that can ever happen. Let me share with you a really quick little story. A few years ago, several years ago, Dave had, well, he woke up in the middle of the night in incredible pain. I rushed him to the emergency room. Um, he, he was in just excruciating pain, writhing around, and his, uh, his intestines had quit working. They call it paralytic ileus, and for whatever reason, they never did determine the cause. His intestines had stopped working, and it causes excruciating pain, and he was in the emergency room all night, and... Um, <clears throat> And, and they finally got things working again and were able to send him home after several hours. But the next day, I went over to our, our son and his wife's house and our grandson, Speed, he was a little guy at the time, probably eight or nine years old, and he was really worried about Poppy. He said, Mimi, what happened to Poppy? What happened to Poppy? And I said, well, honey, the doctors don't really know. And I just tried to explain to him in, in the terminology an eight or nine-year-old could understand. And he said, well, Mimi, could that have happened to Poppy if somebody punched him? And I said, oh, no, I don't think so, honey. I said, I, and nobody's punched Poppy. And he said, well, Mimi, when Poppy and I were playing the other day, I punched him in the stomach. We were wrestling, and I punched him in the stomach. Is this my fault? Did I do this to Poppy? And I said, honey, no, 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 you didn't do this. This wasn't you. You'd... And he said, but Mimi, every time something goes bad, I think it's my fault. 
because a little child processes things differently. And again, we're hearing all these things through our adult logical thinking, but these things were happening to us when we were little children. And they were teaching us how to act, and they were teaching us how to respond to life, and they were teaching us what relationships would look like, and they were teaching us how we would even probably perceive Father God. And so sometimes we have to take ourselves out of our adult logical thinking and remember, I was a child. Remember what Paul said? I thought like a child. I processed like a a child. Now I'm an adult. I think like an adult. But inside of every one of us, we're a compilation. Our thought processes, the way we think, the way we act, the way we, they're compilations of, of life experience. I, 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 you know, our marriages look like many times what was modeled before us, good, bad, or, or not. They were oftentimes look like what was modeled before us because that's what feels normal to us because that's what we were taught. So we have to remember to look at these things through the perception of what, are we acting like a child? Anybody ever act like a child? I mean, you just have a flat-out temper tantrum. So that's the absentee dad. So like we, said, like we said this morning, we begin to ask ourselves these questions. Where did that come from? Right? I mean, you'd be surprised how many Christians have never asked themselves those questions. They just say, well, that's just the way they are. They, I am. And if they don't like it, they can just leave. And just, no, 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 no. That's not just the way you are. That's, that's, where did that come from? Why did I respond that way? What am I afraid of? And then what am I going to do about it? So, so anybody absentee dad, your dad just wasn't in the picture at some point, and either he died, he walked away, maybe he was never in the picture. Anybody? Any, anybody? Okay. Okay. Then we have authoritarian and abusive dads, and we've kind of lumped this into one, th- one, one group, subgroup because an authoritarian dad, there's always emotional abuse attached to that. So we're just going to – Okay. Just a second. Okay, I got it. Okay, okay, okay. Did you hear that? talking about what time we need to close. Because <laughs> we need to be, we, anyway. So the abusive or authoritarian dad, and everybody knows about abuse, right? And abuse, I mean, abuse in parental relationships is, again, it's epidemic. And it's because there's so much anger. There's so much unresolved emotion. There's so much pain in people's lives, and people that are in horrific amounts of pain inflict that horrific amount of pain often on the ones they love the most. So we all know about physical abuse. We all know about emotional abuse, harsh, fearful tones of voice, devaluing words, demeaning looks, um, failure to meet those basic emotional needs of a child for, for security and love and value and purpose. Sexual abuse is a huge issue. We did a conference... Um, in our in our church several years ago, and we were doing some training, uh, prayer ministry training, and and um, and we were talking about some of these issues and how to minister to people who have experienced some of these things. And so, just within this group of thirty or forty people that were in this training, we asked, um, you know, how many of you were either victims of abuse or someone in your immediate family was a victim of sexual abuse? And everyone but three people raised their hands. I'm telling you what it touches every family to one level or another sexual abuse it's one of the most damaging things that can happen to the heart of a child it robs them of their innocence and it instills them a sense of shame that there's something horribly wrong with them that somehow they deserve that abuse that physical abuse again the emotional abuse um 
and, and, here's, and here's something that's very challenging about us as adults. Most of us, even if we've been abused, we don't want to admit we've been abused. Why do you think that is? It's, there's a shame attached to it that somehow if I was abused, there must be something wrong with me. I'm damaged somehow. I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm not a whole human being. And so, you know, I, I shared a little bit about, with you about my story and when my mom and dad were in the process of this horrible divorce that took a very long time to go from beginning to end, and, and my dad and my mom started using alcohol to comfort their pain, and there was a lot of abuse that went on in my home, and, and I watched my dad beat my mom over and over again. I watched him break her nose. I watched him throw her down the stairs and break her foot. I would run to get neighbors to try to get help, you know. And I watched him try to strangle her to death, and I, I saw horrible things that no 12, 13, 14-year-old child should ever see. And then because of my mom's level of pain that she was in and she didn't know what to do with her pain, she just got real suicidal and made lots of attempts on her life. And, and lots of those attempts were made in my presence or I would come home and find her all cut. And, and um, the last attempt that she made on her life that I'm aware of, she took me in the bathroom with her and, and um, she made me watch her take a bottle of pills. She said, I'm going to die and you're going to watch me. And she locked me in the bathroom with her. And those were horrible things that happened to a child, but I couldn't recognize them as abuse. And several years ago, Dave and I went to a place called Restoration Mountain, and we went for some, some healing and some, a time of, of, of prayer and restoration and healing for our own lives to walk through some of the things that we've, we've experienced in life and to try to get healing for ourselves so we could give that away instead of giving our pain away. And... Um, and, and so I was in with these people, these beautiful ministers of God, and I had filled out all this paperwork and all these things to go to this, to this ministry time. And, and so they started talking to me about abuse, and I said, I've never been abused. They said, you've never been abused? I mean, this was just 10 years ago. I mean, I was like an adult and like reasonably intelligent and reasonably able to understand the things. And I, I'd ministered to a lot of people at this point. You were an A student. I was an A student. And... Um, and so they said, you've never been abused? And I said, no, I've never been abused. And they said, well, you wrote down, you, you shared with us about how your father beat your mom in your presence and how you saw that over and over again and you had to protect your mom from your dad's anger and how your mom made all these suicide attempts and you were there. And I said, yeah, that happened. And they said, and you don't call that abuse? Oh, my gosh. I mean, it, if I had been ministering to anyone else, I would have recognized that as abuse. But in my own life, I could not see that as abuse because it meant that I was defective somehow. It meant that there was something wrong with me. And so, again, it was a painful moment in my life, but it was a moment in my life where God was able to pour his healing into those areas of my life that had been so filled with pain. And because God was able to pour healing into those areas of life, see, we can take the comfort that God gives us, and then we can share that with someone else. It's an incredible thing as we walk through this process of experiencing love and healing. And walking through this cycle of healing instead of living in that cycle of pain, that God starts to pour that healing into our hearts so that we can give it away. Isn't that what every one of us want to leave to the next generation? Isn't that the legacy every single one of us? I don't want to leave the legacy to my kids that my parents left to me. And some of us come from a beautiful legacy, and we want to pass that legacy on. But even if it was a beautiful legacy, it wasn't a perfect legacy. 
But we want to pass on to our, the next generation healing and acceptance and value and purpose and identity. So anybody? So the authoritarian dad, the legalist? That's, that's a... That's a guy who's, you know, just real legalistic. You know, you know what I mean by legalistic? You know, legalistic is a, it's kind of a religious term. You know, just um, uh, you, you've got to be almost perfect, right? You know, you, uh, there, there, it's, you know, you, you, you do it my way and there's no other way. You know, and if you don't do it my way, then there's, the, you know, there's what we call, there's the highway, you know. Uh, <laughs> Do you have highways here? Okay. <laughs> yeah, we've been on them. So this, this, guy, this father type measures on truth and the letter of the law, but has little ability to express compassion, mercy, grace, tenderness, patience, and love, the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, he may be tender with other people, you know, kind of, you know, just surfacy, but when he's at home, he's very rigid and unyielding, with his own children, he he does he doesn't uh, he doesn't and this is the this is the danger of a of a real authoritarian father who's just very demanding. Um, that he he that father type doesn't allow the individualism yeah. of God's creation to develop in you, right? Yeah. In other words, uh, he you know you you can't talk unless he tells you to talk. You, you can't do this unless he tells you to do this. He's just very demanding, very controlling, very domineering. And so that robs a child of their ability to, because a parent, what, what parents should be doing is they should be asking God, God, Father God, you know, help me to see the gifts and the abilities that you have placed into this child. Help me to see the blessing that this child is going to be to the world that they, they're going to live in. And help me to develop that, uh, and 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 so that, that's the kind of father and, and mother that that a, that a child should have. Not a, not a father that's so consumed in his own desires and own needs that he can't see those children as anything other than really. I hate to use the term, but slaves, almost. So. So if you had an authoritarian or an abusive father, you know you might be angry. And you might be angry at God because he didn't protect you. Because he didn't protect you from this abuse or he didn't protect you from this, this, this sense of uh, uh, authoritarian to the point where you weren't free to live, you weren't free to grow, you weren't free to, to, to be who God had called you to be. You may be afraid uh, of getting close to God because you might think he's going to hurt you too. Anybody ever had the vision of God that he was a big angry God in the sky and it was only Jesus who was keeping God from pulverizing us? That used to be my impression of a father God. I saw father God as somebody who was angry with me, and it was only Jesus standing between me and God saying, don't kill her. And, and, and if we've been raised in an abusive situation or an extremely authoritarian situation, we're afraid of God because we're afraid that he is also angry with us and that he's going to punish us, that he's going to make life hard on us. And it's going to be really hard for us to believe that God loves us. Because the father that was supposed to love us instead hurt us. It's a very, very difficult situation. And it, it very much is, is coupled with shame. We also, if we've been raised with an authoritarian or an abusive father, we're going to have a real hard time relating to authority in our life. 
it, it, in a work situation, in a church situation, in a family situation. We're going to have a real high, because authority represents pain, doesn't it? It doesn't represent love and acceptance and value. It represents harsh punishment and pain. So has anyone here, was anyone here uh, raised by an authoritarian or abusive dad? Anybody experienced that in their life? Yeah. Yeah. And okay. then the last type, um, everybody say hallelujah. The last <laughs> one is the pretty good dad. And it, it, you know, in, in our society, you should get down on your hands and knees and thank God profusely if you were raised by a pretty good dad, right? If you had a dad and mom in the home, you know, it's just, it's an incredible blessing, right? But, but, but there is no such thing as a perfect home. There's no such thing as a perfect mom or dad. And even in a pretty good father image, there are, there are um, maybe things that didn't take place that you should have, uh, that you thought should take place. You maybe misunderstood the love that was there. I know uh, we have, you know, being in a church for as long as we have, we, you know, we have like four generations of, of, of Christians in our, in, you know, that Family. families that are in our church. And, and, uh, and so we know many of those families pretty well. And <clears throat> there, are, there are families where the dad was really a pretty good dad and the mom a pretty good mom. But the child grows up with, with, with insecurities and inferiorities and, and issues that are going on because this child really has misinterpreted the love that was there. And so, you know, even in a pretty good home, a pretty good dad, there are promises that maybe weren't kept. There are things that took place that, that, uh, you want, that you thought should take place and it didn't take place. So even in that situation, you know, there is wounding that can take place. And we don't, you know, you, see, I mean, you, know, you can see where I'm messed up, right? I mean, I, I'm good with that. I mean, I am messed up. I, you know, I am, I'm messed up, okay? I'm a very messed up individual. I mean, Jack Frost and I used to have this contest when he was alive, and we hung out all the time together. And, and he'd say, you know, he said, I'm pretty much, I think I'm the most messed up. And I said, no, there's no way you're the messed up. I'm the most messed up. You know, so we had this, me- it was kind of like a, I don't know, it was just one of those a weird things. Rivalry. It was a sick rivalry. And then finally he realized I was the most messed up. So, <laughs> so I, I have won the competition of the most messed up. So, the, um, you know, I don't know where I was going with that. Okay, okay. So I'm messed up. But somebody throw me a bone here. I'll I'll throw you a bone here. But what can happen with a pretty good dad, and what often does happen with a pretty good dad, is that the child, as they grow, they're so connected to their earthly dad that they have a really hard time transferring their identity into being a son or daughter of a loving Heavenly Father. Because, you know, if I had a pretty good dad, but that has nothing to do with me being messed up. No, it doesn't. But if I had, but 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 it does have something to do with pretty good dad. It does. It does. It's very good. It's very good. I so if I was on a little rabbit trail. There. I know you were. Sometimes now I can't find the rabbit. Sometimes he runs off and we lose him for just a little while. But we bring left, him back into the fold. We just kind of grab him I, and bring him saying, back in. I'm just saying. I, I think I left my medication at the castle. <laughs> But but so that but, but that is really something that we see so often 
in the life of, of a child that was raised with a pretty good dad is that is that and of course that pretty good dad isn't going to live forever on this earth and so when that dad does pass away that child loses their identity because they never found their identity in a loving heavenly father and so that and so and so you know is okay go 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 are you back oh, i'm back i'm okay, back he's back so go so so you can be <laughs> you can be really messed up right but, or you can be raised by a pretty good dad. I was actually on subject. I just couldn't remember what the subject was. <laughs> and, so, so that, you know, and so sometimes people that are raised by, in a pretty good situation, what they, they feel like, uh, you know, my pain is nothing compared to this guy who's really messed up. See? Yeah. I got back on track, baby. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Finish the thought. Keep that was it. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, but just but the thought, didn't I get the thought across? <laughs> because I feel like pain I'm is pain. I'm in the twilight zone here. Because pain is pain. Pain's and pain. So, yeah, that's it. That's it. Pain's pain. Can I, can I get a yes. drink of water? <laughs> yes. When you finally began to acknowledge the abuse and the harm that your parents did to you, did you not find it all the more damaging when you met Christians who told you you, who, who emphasized the importance of these relationships? That's a really good question. He said. He said when I realized the abuse and when I was able to acknowledge that, and then I would, then I would meet other people. Did that not make Christians in, Christians in particular? Did that not make my life? You say it because you said it better. Sorry. So when she finally acknowledged the harm and the hurt that these two people had done to her, irrespective of who they were, they were your parents. But so you finally acknowledged these two people who were in my life did severe harm to me. So now that I've acknowledged that and I can finally heal and grow and become whole and live my own life and move forward. So now I've found Christianity. It seems to be working for me. I go to this church. I go to that church. I go to this church. I go to that church. But all these groups of people are just beating me down and ruining me and making me feel worse because they are emphasizing the meaning and the importance of these particular relationships that, for me personally, were horrific. That is a super good question, and I think that is probably a question that many people have, and that's where when, because, yes, that would have been the case, and I think that probably was why I couldn't admit that I'd been abused, because I wouldn't have known what to do with that pain. It would have been so horrific, and I wouldn't have known what to do with that pain, and so I couldn't, I couldn't carry it, so I just had to pretend like it didn't exist. Did it exist? Of course it existed. Did it come out in other areas of my life? Absolutely, yes, it did. Pain buried alive really doesn't ever die. And so, but when we start to, to walk in this place, and, and let me just share a, a brief story, and then we're going we're gonna, to uh, minister, and we're going to actually practically take some steps into walking this cycle of healing. So here we were in 1995. Our, our, our son tried to kill himself. In 1997, uh, we had been wallowing around in this pain and, and this anguish and this fear and this, uh, it was just a horrific thing for, for two years at that point. And um, somebody told us we needed to go see our friend Jack Frost. Or his, somebody told us he need, we needed to go see his friend Jack Frost. And we thought that was a joke because Jack Frost, you know, is the guy that writes on the windows in the wintertime. And we had never heard of Jack Frost before. But we, we went to this, um, to this small group retreat. 
and Jack was there, and he was just had a table like this, and he sat at a, on, a, on a little bar stool, and he just started sharing his own life. And his life was so parallel to mine, it was almost as if our parents came from the same family. He, had the sa- he lived through the same alcoholism, the abuse, the pain, all the different things, the, the performance-based. His life so paralleled mine that I, I started to hear what he said, and it started to really resonate with me. And I started to think, oh, my gosh, here's somebody who understands what I've been through. But I still didn't know what to do with that. Well, during this small group retreat, there were about 25 of us in this, in this group, and they would, they would break us up into even smaller groups. And we would go with these groups of four or five people with one of the Shiloh Place uh, prayer ministry teams. And, and, and so we would, we would go into these small groups, and I hated those small groups. I hated those small I liked the bigger group. I felt a little bit safe and a little bit, you know, incognito in the bigger group. But when there was like four or five people, I mean, it was vulnerable. I, you, I mean, they, everybody was looking at you to say something. Everybody was expecting you to share the pain of your life and to share what God was doing in your heart during this retreat. And I didn't want to do that because vulnerability was not something I was interested in in any way, shape, or form. I mean, I wanted to just hide. I wanted to just... just I just wanted to hear what was happening, but I didn't want to share my own heart. Long story short, toward the end of that week, God started showing me that I had sinned against my parents. Had my parents sinned against me? Yeah. Did I deserve what happened to me as a young child? No. No child deserves to be treated like that. But for 25 years, I had lived out my life with a victim mentality, being angry, being judgmental, being unforgiving. In the meantime, after Dave and I married, a few years later, my mom remarried the most wonderful man in the world. They both got born again. They both got spirit-filled. They so wanted to parent us, and I so resisted parenting. And my mom tried so hard for 25 years to be the mom to me that she should have been in my earlier years, and I rejected her at every turn. And in that day in 1997, when God finally showed me that I was the one that was walking in sin. I was the one who had walked in unforgiveness. I was the one who'd walked in judgment toward my mom. I was the one who'd said things like, I'll never do to my kids what my parents did to me. And I was the one who had had, had created such a home of such uh, performance orientation that my kids couldn't do anything right for me. And here I was passing on a legacy of pain and a legacy of unforgiveness and a legacy of anger and a legacy of judgment. And when God started comforting my heart and showing me how much he loved me, and when I realized that I was the one that needed forgiveness, I was finally able to let go of that pain. And you know what? My mom is 25 years now. I don't know how many years later. This all happened 40 years ago. My mom is still alive. She has never yet asked me to forgive her. She's never said, Chris, I really blew it. Would you please forgive me? But you know what? I don't need to hear that anymore because I know I have a father who loves me. And I know that as I walked in, as I was able to receive comfort and let go of the pain, really let go of the pain, that's what forgiveness is, is letting go, letting go of the pain. It changed every relationship in my life. It didn't just change my relationship with my mom. I mean, that was great, but it changed my relationship with him. It changed my relationship with my kids, and it changed my relationship with everybody I met, and it changed my relationship, number one, with God because finally I allowed him to parent me. I finally allowed him to be my father, and I finally accepted him and and thought, okay, it's going to be okay to be a daughter now. I can trust again. 
it's big stuff. But I'm telling you what, this cycle of healing is where we want to walk. And so right now, we're going to take some real practical, maybe a little scary steps. And so if you were raised by, and it doesn't matter if you raised your hand or not, that's immaterial. But if you feel like, as we talked about these things, that you were raised by a performance-based dad, um, can you just come up here and just come on, just kind of gather around right here? It's scary, I know. I've done it. Lots of times. It's real scary. But believe me, it'll, 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 you'll experience something here tonight that, that'll just really, um, move you along in this process. 